Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 6. And uh, I want us to go there tonight. Revelation chapter 2. I, I want to talk about, um, um, you know, we're in a month of firsts. And uh, Rick, will you clean those for me, sir? Help me. I left my cleaning stuff down there. I got a fog on my glasses. I thought it was glory. And I, I said, that is not the glory. That's a fingerprint or something. Um, I, I was about to tell you all to lay down in the glory of the Lord. Said, Jesus. And we've been in that kind of glory before. Amen. Um, but um, thank you, Rick. I appreciate that, sir. Uh, we're in a month of first. This is the first month of the year. I think a lot of people, both in and out of the church, they afford themselves the opportunity at this time of year to sort of reset themselves, cast vision, get their heart and minds on moving forward in life. Amen. And sometimes um, we take this opportunity to make fresh commitments, to, to take care of some unfinished business. In fact, I got, a, I got a text yesterday from a precious brother I haven't talked to in some time. And, um, and he was apologizing for something that had happened years ago. And uh, I said to him, I have no clue what you're talking about. And he said, well, I remember, and I want to start this year off on the right foot. And I just want to make sure there's nothing between you and I. I said, there is nothing between you and I. I love you. May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord bless your humility. I don't know it's good to have a pure heart like that. Amen. And so um, it's just that kind of season. It's that time of year where we're preparing for a new year. And I want to talk about, I want to simplify for us if I can, how we do start fresh how we do get fresh focus. How, how do we launch out into a new year uh, with, with our priorities in order? And I want to talk about that tonight. So I'm going to go to two very familiar passages of Scripture that you've heard all your life if you've been in church. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. When you have both those places, say amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you don't even need to look at it, but let's just read this together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these, there's that word again, something is happening. And how many of God is preparing Things for, come on, come on, you didn't forget this by Sunday. I know you didn't forget this since Sunday. How many know God is preparing things for those who love him? But how many know if you want to have those things, you have to have the right priorities? So seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. And if those of you who are wondering, why do I sound like I sound? Before uh, this past Sunday, for like two weeks, the whole family was sick. I mean, we were, I never seen the Wallace house so sick. Everybody got sick. My neighbors got sick. I got so sick. And lost my voice and got it back and then preached four times on Sunday. That was not a recipe for wisdom. Amen. But the Lord helped us and we're here tonight. So if I sound like uh, Oscar from uh, Sesame Street, please forgive me. Um, but, but Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, when you have that, say amen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your labor your patience, 
and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not. And you have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and you have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Please, underline the word left. He did not say they lost it. He said they left it. He said you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do your first works over, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you have hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, how many have an ear? Lay a hand on your ear. You have an ear? He who has an ear, she who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, tonight, help someone return to their first love. Help someone reclaim something that they've lost. Even a moment ago, God, as I mentioned to them about my friend who texts me wanting to make sure our relationship was okay, Someone was quickened by the Holy Spirit to make a relationship that has been broken, make it whole again. I pray that the Holy Spirit will work on that heart tonight, that before the sun rises and sets again tomorrow, they'll shoot a text to a person that they have an issue with, and you will heal it. In this month of January, somebody needs to receive what I'm saying. I pray the sun would not go down on our wrath. I pray that our bitterness would not be covered up by all of our religiosity. Heal us and we shall be healed. Make our hearts right as we enter this new year. In Jesus' name and the family said amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So tonight is, um, it's very simple. It's very, it's not very long. It's not, it's not so deep. Um. It is simple, and I think it has to be simple when we come to these conversations of um, when you or I go through a deal where we feel like we've got so many problems and so many issues that need fixed in us. Now, I know on Wednesday night, y'all are for real saved if you come to church. Like, People who come to church on Wednesday night really love Jesus, especially in January. Somebody say amen. But the reality of it is when you and I begin to get closer to God, sometimes in my journey, I have come through seasons where I get closer to him and I want to get closer to him and I feel this impetus in me to, to, to grow closer to Christ. And then the closer I get, the more I see in me that is not like him. And the more I see in me that is not like him, the more complicated my, my coming to him becomes. I start seeing all of my insufficiencies, all of my issues, all of my flaws. I, and I know y'all don't have flaws, but pray for your pastor. Your pastor has flaws. Amen. 
And, and here's the thing. Sometimes when we go into that mode of drawing near to God, getting closer to God, sometimes we become aware of all the stuff in us that is messed up and it complicates our approaching him because we wonder what do I need to fix in me first? What do I need to address, address first in my life? Where, what is the order in which I need to get all this fixed? Can we just take a pause right here and a praise break and thank God that as much as is wrong with all of us, God doesn't demand we get it all fixed in one trip to the altar. I want to. I need to. I have a heart to. I don't want to put things on the shelf. I don't... I want to get it all right. I want to be right from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. Anybody heard that song before? I want to be, y'all know y'all ain't never heard that song before. That was in the old church we sang growing up. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. But the reality of it is so much feels um, wrong or undone. There seem to be so many issues, so many things we need to work on and work through. We start asking ourselves, what do we begin with? If I'm going to become more like Christ, if I'm going to get closer to Jesus, where do I start? Because every time I turn around, I see something in me that is not like him. And I think this is a recipe for where we go first. I think our Christology is of utmost importance. In fact, I was with a dear friend, uh, my friend Damon Thompson this past week, and we were talking about where we felt like the church was. We were having just a conversation about, you know, the state of the church and what preachers do when they get over coffee and start talking, you know, you got to start talking about what's wrong with the church and what's God going to get ready to do, right? Well, the reality of it is there's much that is happening in the church that I'm concerned about. But the most important thing the church can do in this hour is understand its Christology, that is, the understanding and the studying of Christ. At the end of the day, your Christology and my Christology, what we believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ is of utmost, utmost importance to our spiritual victory. Can you say amen? In fact, A.W. Tozer, who was a great theologian of yesteryear, said these words, the most important thing that a, a Christian can do is to think rightly about God. If you and I are going to have dimensions of victory and come into over, a place of overcoming things that have historically overcome us, where routines are broken, you know, we put away the childish things, we grow up in Christ and become everything Christ has called us to be, it really does center and circle and it, and it, and it absolutely happens around the proper revelation of who Jesus is in our life. If you don't have right Christology and an understanding of Jesus, it doesn't matter what he died to provide, his efficacious blood may have no import to you if you don't understand correctly what Jesus came to do for you and I. Christology is the, in my opinion, it is what the church is getting ready to go back to. If the church doesn't get back to it being all about Jesus, the church is in significant trouble. If the church doesn't quit focusing on all the accoutrements of Christianity and what do we have on the stage and what's going through the speakers and what kind of music does your church do and what kind of seating does your church have and what do y'all wear to church and what do y'all drive to church and none of that matters. One heel of beans. If Jesus is not the center of all that we do, he is the main thing. And in this year, my prayer is, is that the church will keep the main thing the main thing. 
And so this teaching tonight is about Jesus because at the end of the day, I, I feel like most of the problems we have in our journey are from uh, a deficiency of understanding how much he loves us, what he did for us, what he did against our sin and to our enemy, what his presence in our life actually means. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have Christ in us, the hope of glory? This is Christology. This is the understanding and the study of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that we become more infatuated and fascinated with him in 2024 than we do how many lights are in the sanctuary and what kind of things we have out in the parking lot. It's about Jesus. And the church has lost its fascination with Jesus, which is consequently why I believe there is a deficiency of dunamis power working in our midst. We want results without the risen one being in the house. We want manifestations without the master being in our midst. I want to tell you that in, in this year, may it all be about Jesus in our hearts. An unstable man, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I believe there's a divided allegiance in the body of Christ. We have allegiance to everything else in this world but Jesus. May the church, the bride, fall back in love with the king again. He is the groom, we are the bride. He will not return for a wife-to-be that is shacked up in the back seat with another lover. I'm saying things tonight. Everybody's got their phrase for 2024. I've heard 716 of them already. All of them rhyme with four. I have one that no one's used yet. Make a t-shirt out of it. It's the bride, not the whore in 24. I told you, I'm, I, I just, um, some of us can't handle that, but you know, there is a religious whore in the book of Revelation. It's the apostate fake church. I'm not mad, I'm not picking a fight, but I refuse to have the appearance of a church but not know the one who, was, who bought and paid for with his blood so that she could become the bride. And, and we are seeing, I don't even know, I gotta get back to this. We are seeing a diametric distinction being made in the earth between the true bride and the whore. And I'm not saying that word in a derogatory way. It's used in the Bible. It's one who is sleeping with other lovers. And this entire issue is germane to what I read to you from the book of Revelation and from what I read to you from the book of Matthew. And if, you, if you're in this place tonight and you're in January and you're finding it difficult, you know, you're finding it difficult to get focused. You're finding it difficult to, what do I focus on? What do I concentrate on? What needs fixed in me the most? What needs fixed in my mind? What needs fixed in my marriage? What needs fixed in my house? What needs fixed in my spiritual journey? I want to simplify it for you. I feel like that's what God told me to do tonight. Simplify it and remind the family that sometimes we get in a place, it's never that we, the church, just quit doing all good things. It's not that we just turn completely against the Lord and you know, become some rebellious uh, freak of nature that disobeys Christ in every way. It's actually what happens here at Ephesus. Jesus says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, 
I know your works, verse two. I know your labor, your patience. I know that you cannot bear those that are evil. I know you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. Boy, I would, this is necessary in today's church. Those who say they are, they are apostles and are not. <laughs> Everyone's an apostle. No, they're not. They're really not. There's a lot of titles floating around because people who um, are infatuated with titles have given themselves a title so that they think they have authority. It's a pseudo title. It's a pseudo authority. It wasn't sanctioned by Jesus. Let me help you understand something. No one sets apostles in order. I feel this in my bones tonight. No one sets apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, or teachers in order but Jesus. No one. I don't call apostles, I don't call prophets, I don't call pastors, I don't call evangelists, and I don't call teachers. Jesus calls those people. And the problem in the church, if we're not careful, is we will get title infatuated, give people authority, or people will take the authority without anyone giving it to them. They will call themselves a name by a title to intimidate people. The church at Ephesus did not tolerate this. And when they used fake titles and claimed fake authority, the leaders at Ephesus would say, you are not that. The Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly. That doesn't mean if they come to the altar, don't lay your hand on them unless you, you know, pray for three hours. That's not what he's talking about. When the Bible says lay hands on no man suddenly, do not affirm and send forth people into ministry quickly. Know those that labor among you. I'm talking in here tonight. Know those who labor among you. Be careful that you know who's calling themselves what they're calling themselves. Know those that labor among you. And and so uh, they have that going for them. They are patient. They have not tolerated evil. They have tested those who called themselves apostles and found them to be liars. Verse three, they've persevered and have patience. They've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. This is not a burnt out church. Ephesus was not a wore out church. They're working hard for Jesus. They're just demonstrating patience and they're demonstrating uh, the work of the kingdom and they're doing things for God and they've got this sense of standard and they've got this moral compass about them and they don't tolerate uh, fraudulent things. It's, those are wonderful things. How many would agree? This is not a church that is completely evil and wicked and rebellious and backslid. They're actually working hard. But I have something. One thing against you. You left your first love. It is entirely possible to be busy but be disconnected from God. I don't think there is a more sobering passage, Deacon Farmer. I don't think there's a more sobering passage to me in all the Bible than the words, depart from me. I know you cast out devils in my name, healed the sick, and did miracles, but I didn't know you. You knew my name, but I didn't know you. That's heavy, y'all. And I say that, and you know, it produces, we shouldn't be anxiety, there should be no anxiety. We, we, we shouldn't doubt our salvation. How many know he wants us to have confidence we belong to him? But those who don't pause to consider that possibility are the very ones he's talking to. 
those who have no place in them to work out their salvation with what? Fear and trembling? Every now and then we need a good dose of, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me, purge me. We don't need to be insecure. Talk to me. We don't need to be insecure. Christ didn't come and give his life so that we could live with, you know, someone asks me all the time, do you believe uh, in once saved, always saved? I believe in eternal security. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in eternal security. I believe God wants you to be eternally secure. That doesn't mean that you can't leave your salvation. It's possible. You don't lose it like you lose your car keys at your house. You don't, you know, we say things that we don't think through completely. Well, I fell into sin. Actually, you didn't. You took the floaties off. You, you put the swimming trunks on. You found the diving board and you jumped into the deep end of sin. We didn't fall into sin. We didn't accident. It wasn't like, oh, I did that. I didn't know what I was doing. But yeah, you did. Actually, we did know, right? Here's the reality of it. I think we all need to examine our hearts to make sure we are in what Paul called the faith. Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. That's not because we don't trust his keeping grace or power. He wants us to be saved. What I don't want to do is be blinded by self. I don't want to be deceived. Talk to me, church. I don't want to be deceived by my own heart. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So on the first of this year, I'm not trying to produce fear. This is not in any way pressure or, you know, I'm not trying to coach you into, I'm saying to you and I, let's not get so lax in our faith that we come to a place where we think checking up on our spirit is a bad thing. I want to make sure if there's anything between me and Jesus, that's what tonight could be for some of us. A pause in all of our confidence to say, Lord, if there's something that I'm unaware of, there's something you want to talk to me about. If there's something that you have been talking to me about and I have ignored it, let's get that right. Because Ephesus was a working church. They were not whining. They were not lazy. They were not um, uh, casual. They were engaged. How can you be patient? How can you not bear those who are evil? How can you not, uh, how can you test those who say they are apostles and found them liars? And how have you persevered and how have you labored? How can you be engaged in all of that and be ignorant of this, that you have done one thing that matters to the heart of God? You've left your first love. You didn't lose it. You left it. And he says, if you want to keep your influence. Now, let me just suggest this to you. Some of you may disagree with this, and that's okay. You can choose to be wrong. I don't care. It's okay. Um, but when he says, I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent, those are not my words. That's not the words of some crazy uh, hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's not the words of, of a threatening Christ. 
That is the words of a, of a savior who loves us too much to allow us to have influence while we don't even love him. When he says, I'll remove your lamp from the lampstand, he is talking about removing your influence from the city you're in. Whenever he talks about lamp and light, he's talking about influence. You're, what, what did he say in the book of Matthew? You are a city, what? Set up on a hill, come on, talk to me. A light that can be seen. You're a light that can be seen. You're a city set up on a hill. I want the world to see my church. That's what he says. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel, but you light it so the whole house can be illuminated. The church has been lit, as it were, with the presence of God so that a world that sits in darkness can actually see the glory of the Savior. But if you lose your first love and you're just busy doing ministry, I'm going to take your influence away from the city. I'm going to take your lamp out of the lampstand. I'd rather you not be doing than to be doing and not loving me. Jesus. I'd rather you not even, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm. This is all language that we don't know how to reconcile in today's modern church. Because today's modern church, all they teach us is, you know, live however you want. Jesus has no standard. He just loves everybody. Jesus does love everybody. He loves us enough not to leave us like he found us. And um, I want us to make sure, I'm not telling you I've mastered and completely understand how that all marries and connects. I can only tell you this. I don't work to get saved. By grace, ye are saved through faith. Nothing to do with yourselves. It is the gift of God, which is eternal life. Not of works, so that none of us can boast. How many know that's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, right? But the next part of that scripture says, you were not saved by works. You were, however, saved for works. From the foundation of the world. I got less amens on that than I did on by grace you are saved through faith. And here's why. Because we all want to hear the message we're saved by grace. And how many can help me praise God tonight for the promise of the gospel message that we are saved not by what we do for Jesus. We are saved by what he did for us and the grace that it unlocked in our lives. Somebody give God praise. But how many can go one step further in our growth to say and to accept this, that when we are saved by grace through faith, it produces a heart that is totally a bond slave and servant to the one who died so that she may be saved. And it is not a burden for me to serve my king. I was going to hell and he rescued me. He has my life. This is, this is the whole issue of, of the lampstand being the lamp being removed for the Ephesian church. He says, I'm going to take your influence away if you don't get your priorities right. Can I tell you something today that is a travesty that lets me know they missed their invitation? Do you know where the Ephesian church is today? Non-existent. Non-existent. 
The Ephesian church didn't last many years beyond the book of Revelation. Why? Because I wonder if she completely accepted the invitation of the Lord and truly repented and got her stuff right. It's a wake-up call. Can y'all at least acknowledge me, even if this is a difficult conversation for you to hear, can we at least acknowledge that in our lifetime, I'm 44 years old, some of you are in your 70s, some of you in your 50s, 60s, 30s, 20s, whatever. In our lifetime, we have seen enough scandal where people have lost their influence in the kingdom. Churches that were mega churches are now struggling to keep the doors open. Ministries that were worldwide, it seems as if their name was jerked out of the atmosphere. Why? Because God says, I refuse to let you be busy for me and not love me. I refuse to let you have a priority of influence instead of a priority of intimacy. I don't want to just be influential. I want to be intimate with Jesus. And if you were in a place tonight where you were saying, Man, it feels like there's so much in my life that needs to be addressed. Where do I start? He gives the blueprint. What time do we usually get out of here? I don't even do this enough to know. Eight what? Fifteen-ish? Okay, I'll take my liberty. I am the pastor. Every now and then I get to pull that card, okay? Every now and then. It doesn't work at my house. Devin and my kids still don't care, okay? But here every now and then, I'm kidding, it's a joke. So what does he say? You're busy, you got lots going on, you're engaged, but if you don't get your priorities right, I'm gonna take the lamp out of the stand because I refuse to let you prioritize influence over intimacy. So how do we protect our influence? Listen to what I'm about to tell you. How do you protect your Christian influence? And all of you have it. You protect your influence by prioritizing intimacy with Jesus. If you will keep him number one, he will keep your lamp burning and your light blazing. You will make a difference in this world. If you lost it, pardon me, if you left it, how do you get it back? This is the simplicity of, of, of starting a new year. This is the simplicity of making sure the foundation is right. This is the simplicity. It's, it's not a bunch of different things. It really is about Jesus. He says three things. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. And then thirdly, he says do, but I'm going to use another R, um, return. And I'll show you how that connects in just a moment. When I read this, getting ready for tonight, I thought at first, man, that's, that's tough when he says, remember from where you've fallen. Sam, that can be a really painful thing. Remember from where I've fallen? Why would I want to remember from where I've fallen? And I have read that all my life incorrectly. He doesn't say remember from where you've fallen to torment you with hopelessness. He doesn't say remember from where you've fallen so that you can feel like a no good sorry dog who has no hope for the future. He says remember from where you've fallen. Remember how sweet it was? 
Remember when you first got saved and you woke up early in the morning, he was the first thing you thought of? Oh, I'm, this is, whew. Remember when the last thing you thought about before you went to bed at night was him? Remember the bliss of feeling sins forgiven and the joy of not caring what theological camp you were being put in because of what you believed and how incorrect you were about what you just knew Jesus. You just loved him. You just had this glorious encounter. It was like, it was bliss. It was overwhelming. It was joy unspeakable and full of glory. You got to church early. You left late. They had to tap you on the shoulder and tell you to quiet down. They had to tap you on the shoulder laying in the altar and tell you it's time to leave the janitors trying to clean the church and you were just absolutely blitzed by the goodness of God. Why would he tell him the angel of the church at Ephesus, why would he tell him remember from where you've fallen? Because he wanted him to get back there. <sighs> He didn't say remember because I want you to remember how good it was. It'll never be that good again. He said remember and let those memories become the fuel. Be reminded of my goodness. Be reminded of the sweetness of salvation. Be reminded of the preciousness of my presence. Be reminded of the joy. Think about all those wonderful prayers I answered. Think about those things you thought it, and before you said it, I saw your thoughts and made it happen. And you said, wow, he loves me that much. Think about that. Remember that. Remember when that person walked up to you at church and read your mail and shared with you the goodness of God. Remember that. Remember, because you were there, and you fell from there. Remember from where you've fallen, not to be tormented, but to get up and go back there again. I want to say this to you. I'll never forget her. I think she was a decent person. I don't think she was mean or evil. I think she actually meant well by what she said. But as a 14-year-old boy, she took a person in the church I grew up with one time, she looked me in the eyes and she pointed her finger at me. I was 14. I got saved every single Sunday. I got saved every Wednesday and Sunday. I was absolutely terrified of God. I go to church. I go to school. Mortified to have fun. Not sinful, mischievous things. Just I had a hard time really enjoying life. And I'll never forget she came to me. She meant well. She was, in, she was so far off and it messed with me for years. She pointed her finger at me and she said, if you ever backslide, it is very hard to come back to God. And if you make it back, it's never as good as it used to be. Fourteen-year-old kid. Ooh. I, I, I mean, I ran. I ran to a closet and wept. I was struggling in life. I was struggling with faith. I was struggling with who I am. What 14-year-old kid do you know? And I knew the Bible. 
I was decent. I was preaching at 15. I mean, I had a biblical foundation. And she looks at me and she says, if you ever backslide, it's hard to come back to God. And if you do, it's never as sweet and good as it used to be. I believed that for years. Tormented me. Because there were seasons in my life where my faith was shaken and there were seasons in my life where I was working through my faith. I didn't feel as spiritual as I was. And you have to understand the legalism I was raised in. I'd go to a movie, a clean movie, like a PG cartoon movie. I was afraid angels were sitting on the Little Mermaid's thing ready to smite me if I went in there to watch The Little Mermaid, okay. Or The Goonies. It's the greatest movie of all time. I couldn't even enjoy it. I watched it, laughed, cried, and repented. God, please forgive me. It's true. I was a wonderful product of religious misery. And those words rang in my ear for so long. If you fall away, it's hard to come back. And if you ever do, it's never as sweet as it used to be. And this scripture says something quite the opposite. When you fall and you leave your first love, remember how good it was. And come on back. It's as sweet as it was. It's as sweet as it was. In fact, that kind of mentality, that precious, good, intending dear sister in my church, she had very good intentions. She wanted me to live holy. She didn't know that she produced a life of hell for years. True story. Because I thought, man, it's never going to be as sweet as it was when I first got saved. Because here's the deal. We think innocence, our innocence from sin produces joy. It doesn't. We were ignorant of sin. We were not innocent of it. All have sinned. I'm saying some deep stuff right now. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just because you didn't taste all of sin there is doesn't mean you weren't guilty of all sin. Oh, let me go a little deeper because I feel some pushback on that. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? Is it like 10 times? 100 times? Or is it every time you've done it once, you broke all of James says if you transgressed one, you transgressed it all. What's the point? The point was I hadn't gone off into the deep things of sin, but I was convinced for a long time that it will never be sweet again. And I, had re I came to a place in my early 20s, late teens, where I recognized I hadn't even started living yet. I haven't even started understanding grace yet. And I'm 20 years old telling myself I'm an evil, wicked person. And I'm never going to have it as good as it used to be. What point of reference did I have? And then I got a revelation and I really got born again. I'm not saying I wasn't saved, but my mind really got delivered from religion. And I started recognizing something. When the prodigal son came home, the father didn't throw the one who blew his entire inheritance. You do understand that the prodigal son could have been killed. He blew his entire inheritance. Why am I standing up? I 
put this seat here to sit down. He blew his entire inheritance, worked in a pig farm, which is no small slap in the face to his Jewish father. The pig are unclean. The swine are unclean. He's standing there in a pig pen with the husk and the manure of the pig squishing between his toes. It is the epitome of the deepest pit you could ever imagine going as the child of a king. And he comes to himself and says, I'm going home. When he got home, it wasn't a decent party. It was the greatest party the father could throw. It wasn't the skinny lamb. It was the fatted calf. Read the text. That word alone sets me free. Because there was a whole lot of calves in the yard, but it wasn't a skinny calf they cooked because they didn't want the son who had blown it all to feel like we're going to give you the leftovers and not the best. We're going to find the fatted calf. I wish I had some help in here. We, we, listen, listen, we're not, oh my side, Jesus, thank you. We're going to put a robe on and we're going to get a ring. Ring represents Covenant, robe represents covenant, covenant. Uh, it represents covering. Uh, shoes represents the calling because the shoes represent walking out what you were put on the earth to do. They threw a party. Why is it that the church stinks at throwing parties for prodigals who come back home? It's almost like we want people who blew it and wasted an entire season and wasted their inheritance. It's almost like them. We, we want them to know that we are disappointed. We hope you're suffering and not sleeping and that you are tossing in your bed at night with all kinds of tormenting thoughts. Maybe you'll never do it again. And maybe you need to thank God that the crap you did that nobody knows about got put under the blood and just because everybody saw the prodigal's mess and they didn't see your man, oh yeah, I'm gonna say it in here tonight. There's a whole lot of people in the church who are self-righteous and they are mad that people in the church come back to the Lord after falling down and making a horrible mess and the reality is, I'm going to say it, the reality is that the elder brother is the only one in the house who had a problem with the party that the father threw. So in the name of Jesus, open up that exit door right there. I'm getting ready to be apostolic and prophetic. Open up that exit door, please, somebody right now. I cast out the spirit of the older brother. This house will be filled with celebration. These altars will be filled with prodigals. They will come home. We will celebrate those who turn and come back to God. Somebody help me praise the Lord in here. Woo! Cast that spirit out. We will weep and rejoice. It will not be almost as sweet. It will be sweeter. It will be greater. We don't want anybody to walk away. We don't want anybody to fall down and lose their inheritance. But if you do, my God, let the word get out that in this house, we will welcome you back. This isn't just an altar. It's a front porch. The father is standing every day saying, come on home. <laughs> Woo. Glory. So remember, I hope you remember how good he is, how sweet he is.
Well, they need to fear. They need to be afraid. It is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. We don't know what to do with these scriptures that are actually biblical but don't fit in our religious stuff we've been taught all of our life. Some of y'all are still hung up on the fact I said crap. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. It's the Greek word scubula. It is, it's the Greek word scubula. Go search it in the Greek. I'm not making it up. I know my Greek Bible, hallelujah. And I'm just about over that anyway. Just, just, I think everyone in this room knows me well enough to know I believe in holiness. I have a standard. I believe in moral rightness. I believe in sexual purity. I believe husband, one man and one wife being joined together is God's plan for marriage. I be, there's a lot I believe, but I'm gonna tell you this right now. We live in a world that will warp the minds of people. And this has to be a place of recovery. Jared, come help me. I'll land if you start playing. He said, remember. And then he said, here he comes, big word here, repent. And we've made so much about this. But let me tell you simply what repentance is. You know what the Greek word is. I've taught it over and over again. It's metanoia. It is the transitioning of a way of thinking in the mind. It's a decision change. It's deciding I don't believe that. I don't come into, I'm talking a whole lot about agreement lately. I don't come into agreement with a version of myself in which I am in bondage to something Jesus died to set me free from. Repentance is refusing to allow your identity to come into harmony and be married to a thought that Satan has about your life. It's saying, I'm going to believe what God says about me. I'm going to believe in the version God sees in me and not the version the, the enemy continually plants in my mind. So when you and I sin, if it's a lie, Satan says you're a liar. If it's lust, Satan says you have a lust issue you'll never be delivered from. If it's whatever it is, it's a whole panacea of, of accusation. Repentance is when you say, Father, I did it, but that is not who I am. I don't want to have that identity. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. My life is hid with Christ in God. A just man falls down seven times, but he gets back up again. Do you know what the definition of victory is? Again. To get up one more time than you fell down. He says, remember, I want you to remember how good and sweet it was, not to torment you, but to, 
man, it was good. I'm going back home. Okay, that's great. Now, now I'm going to turn back toward home. That's repentance. I'm not going to stand in this pig pen or walk in the way of a prodigal anymore. Repentance is this is not who he called me to be. I'm going back home. That one step right there, you ready? That's repentance. Well, you got to come down here and we've got to beat the devil out of you. I mean, you got to somewhere between hold on and turn loose. I was getting just melee in the altar as a teenager. I see you, devil. Ooh, I don't want a devil. Get him out of me. I didn't have a devil in me. They were trying to beat the devil out of me. Really what they could have done to help me more is tell me who I am in Christ. Tell me who I am. I know who I'm not supposed to be. Remind me of who I am in Christ. Can I tell you this? The Holy Ghost makes a whole lot better, cleaner of fish than the preachers. Oh, I said something right there. We start cleaning people. We, run, we destroy churches. And then we have the unmitigated God to stand up and blame the people on not coming back to church. And we have beat them into unholy submission. And never told them who they were in Christ. We told them what not to do. And then we found out they were doing it. And we used the pulpit to kill them. He knows this. People all the time. I want to see the pastor. I need counseling. You don't want to see the pastor. You don't want to see me. Number one, I have ADD. I will never forget. She knows this. She's a daughter in the church and, my, and a spiritual daughter in the kingdom. And... I was counseling a family one time, a whole family sitting in my church. This woman in my office cried, poured her heart out. I'm drawing a picture of Bart Simpson on my, on my, uh, my pad. And I looked down, and my wife is sitting right beside me, and she stuck her heel in my toe. <laughs> like, quit drawing. And I, my heart is as pure as the driven snow. I'm listening to everything she says. She's pouring her heart out, and I got a picture of Bart Simpson. You don't want me to counsel. Number one, you don't want me to counsel because I have ADD. Number two, you don't want me to counsel. Listen to this. Because if I ever preach from this pulpit and I say something you're dealing with, I never want you to think I'm bringing up what you told me in an office somewhere. If I preach it from that pulpit, the Holy Ghost is reading your mail. That's why I can say it's in love. I'm not going to use that pulpit to beat people up and bash people. I'm going to use it to tell the devil to get out of our minds, under our feet, and remind you of who you are and tell you your best days are still ahead of you. They're not behind you. When you hear me tell you that, it's not because I'm just trying to excite you. I've lived enough days to know that the enemy's plan is to make you feel like the sweet things are behind you and the best days are yesterday. And I want to tell you, it gets sweeter as the days go by. The last thing I will say this. He said, number one, remember. Number two, repent. Number three, do your first works over. Return. Go back. 
there's a little bit of a disagreement about what this phrase means in the Greek. Some believe he means repent and confess all over again for your first time. I think there's some validity to that. But another train of thought is that when he says, do your first works over, he's literally talking about coming back into the kind of life and lifestyle where you're engaged in what you were doing when you first got saved. Do your first works over. Who are you hanging out with now that you wouldn't have hung out with when you first got saved? What are you doing now that you wouldn't have done when you first got saved? How do you talk now? You wouldn't have talked like that when you first got saved. You were just so happy to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do your first works over. Aren't you thankful that this message in, in Revelation 2, though it be full of instruction and warning, it's full of hope and opportunity. That is the gospel. He never gives us a license to sin, but he never buries us in condemnation. Grace is never permission to go and do what you want and sin as much as you want. Grace is forgiveness and the empowering of God's spirit so that what was a slave master to you no longer controls you anymore. I'll end with this. Stand with me, please. Let me stand. Let, let me ask you to stand. How many remember that Bible passage in the Gospel of St. John? I believe it's the eighth chapter where the woman is caught in the act of adultery. How many remember that? Remember what Jesus says to her? He says to her, well, the first thing he says is, he doesn't even talk to her at first. At first, he talks to her accusers. <laughs> Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Because we would spend all of our time talking to uh, the, her to help her out, but he wanted to fix the problem before he helped her. The real problem was not her. The real problem was the people who caught her and wanted to kill her. Y'all missed a good place to say amen right there. The real problem was when they brought her to him expecting he would exercise Moses' law and stone her for her sin. And he looks at them and says, you who are without sin, cast the stone first. Do you understand this? There was only one who was without sin standing there, and it wasn't the Pharisees. The only one who was without sin is the one said, if you don't have any, you pick up the stone. What, sh what could have been said is, he could have said, I don't have any sin and I'm not going to throw the stone because he's the only one who was sinless in the entire story. But the one who was sinless and could have cast the stone did not cast the stone. So what did they do when he, he, he rebuked them? And what did they do? They dropped the rocks, and we don't hear from them anymore. And now it's just Jesus and the sinful woman. And I think some of the words that have been most misinterpreted in the entire Bible are the words Jesus spoke. He, the words Jesus spoke to that sinful woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Because you must understand that in Jewish law, she had to have an accuser in order to be stoned. 
when he got rid of them, he got rid of her accusers. Y'all, God in heaven, I feel. That's why Paul would say, who is he that can lay a charge against God's elect? Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, yea, rather that is risen. Where are your, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn thee. Watch. Most misinterpreted words. I feel like perhaps some of the most misinterpreted words in the entire New Testament. Neither do I condemn thee. Listen, go and sin no more. We've taught that like this. Go and sin no more because if you do, bless God, I'll get you next time. What he's saying is go and sin no more. I'm freeing you from what's trying to kill you. Jesus didn't come to steal your fun. The enemy wants you to think what's killing you is actually fun. It's the presentation of sin in our generation. Drink and drink some more. Snort and snort, snort, snort some more. Have sex and have sex some more. Have an illicit lifestyle and do it some more. Isn't it fun? It's fun. Perhaps while it's happening. And the moment it ends, the moment the drunk teenager finds themselves in a car wrapped around a telephone pole, it ain't fun no more. The moment the woman who loves sleeping around with every man in the neighborhood finds that she has a sexually transmitted disease, it ain't fun no more. And I'm not being mean or critical. I'm telling you, Satan presents sin as if it is your buddy. It's trying to kill you. And Jesus says, go and sin no more because I've set you free. And what was trying to kill you doesn't have control of you any longer. Can somebody say praise the Lord or something right there? Can we just lift our hands tonight in the first month of a new year? Maybe somebody needs an opportunity to walk to an altar and just say, Lord, I want to get some things right. I don't want to be busy. I don't want to just be active. I don't want to just have influence. I want to be intimate with Christ. I want to know Jesus. I want to love him. You know what? Let's just do it in our chair. Let's just do it in our chair. Because I think actually everybody probably needs to just get on board with this tonight. If I talked to you and anything I said resonated and you knew it was for you tonight and you just want to get closer to him, can you throw your hands up right now? Let's just spend some time saying, Lord, do it in me. Father, I'm just praying tonight that this would be the year. I'm not even asking you for greater influence. I'm asking you for deeper intimacy. Oh, Jesus. Trusting you to work right now, Holy Spirit. I'm trusting you to work right now, Holy Spirit. On hearts that want to get closer. On minds that want to be freer. On spirits that want to be more just and want to come into greater union. I feel this so deep in my spirit. Deeper union with you, Jesus. Tori was singing it tonight. She sings it so much better than I do. I want to see eyes like fire. Hair like wool, voice like the sound of many waters. 
spirit of wisdom and revelation, not in the knowledge of church, not in the knowledge of more gifts, not in the knowledge of even revival. I'm, I'm, I'm almost sick of talking about all these movements. I don't want another movement. I want Jesus. I just, can we just go there? Can we just go there and just say, Lord, I just want more of you. I'm, I don't want to be complicating. I don't want to be confused. I don't want to wake up in the morning and feel like I'm missing something, Lord. I don't know where to start. I don't always know where to go. I just want Jesus. I just need him. If, that's, if I'm talking to you, can we just come to the altar, everybody that will, just, just to pray together for three or four minutes. Come on. If I'm talking to you, I know it's Wednesday night and some of you never moved to the altar and that's okay, but if I'm just talking to you and you just say, I just want more of Jesus, I, I want to simplify it this year. I want to make a step toward the altar tonight and I want the Lord. I want the Lord. I don't want to live with all the stereotypes and I'm not trying to live well, I'm not trying to complicate this. I just want Jesus. If I'm talking to you, come right now. Just press all the way to the front of the church. Press all the way in the middle. People are coming. Come on. I just, I, I, I don't want to let you sit in your seat. I, I feel like we need to at least have an opportunity to say, Lord, I, that's me. I want more of you. I want more of you. Tori, I'm going to put it on you, and I'm going to ask you to come and, 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 and sing some. Just sing some so we can draw near to the Lord in this moment. and You know what? Some of you may need to repent. And that's not a bad word. It's not an evil thing. Maybe you've gotten busy, but you've left your first love. Maybe, maybe you're active and maybe you really love God, but, but, but somehow you, you left your first love and you're, and you're wanting that back. You can get it back. Just remember how sweet it was. It's a point of reference when you remember. It reminds you how far you fell, but it reminds you how worth it it is to get back up and go back home. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Help us tonight. Come on, just cry out for him. Cry out for him. Just, just lift your voice. Just get comfortable and just ask him, Lord, I just want more of you in this month, in this year, in this, in this, in this crazy world we're living in. I want the simple, but the profound, the, the intimate relationship with you. Hallelujah. Just spend some time praying right now, please. Draw close to him. Yeah. Jesus. Your love 
tonight free us from ourselves free our hearts thank you Lord I just feel the spirit of God working done with you yet. Jesus. Come on, open your heart just right there. We'll, we'll go in just a few moments. I just feel like the Lord's finishing what he started in the heart tonight. Thank you, Lord. It's not too late. Somebody's coming home and it's going to be sweet. Never more to roam. Never more to Rome. It's going to be sweet. I feel like I need to tell somebody it's going to be sweet. Jesus. 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 Come on, just another minute. Jesus. Jesus, I praise you. Jesus, I pray. It's going to get sweeter this year. It's going to get sweeter. Intimacy with Christ is going to get sweeter. That's the prize. It's the priority. It's, it's what we're pursuing. It's, come on, just, just go there. One, another minute right there, you and Jesus. And, and the way to start is with a, just adoring him and loving him. I'm, you say, I'm not worthy to adore him. i got to get my mess straight before I really pour my love on him. I'm telling you right now, the woman who had an issue, the Bible says she wept until her tears washed his feet. She was a sinful lady, but wept till she washed his feet with her tears. You don't have to get it all cleaned up before you pour it all out. It's the year just to get closer to him and draw near to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to say something real bold right here. The Lord's going to heal some people who've been hurt by religion. The greatest obstacle to our intimacy is the stronghold we have to jump over every time we come to that place in our heart where we don't feel worthy enough, we don't feel righteous enough, we don't feel good enough. I'm telling you right now, the Spirit of the Lord is going to break that yoke over some of our minds and lives. And then this year, we're going to walk in a revelation of how much He loves us. How many can receive that? Say amen. Reach over, lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder. Would you do that? Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Replace everything in us that is a version of Christianity that you did not die to initiate. I pray right now people who have found it complicated 
to approach God would find simplicity in it this year as they draw near to the person and work of Jesus. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Just before we go home, can we just lift our hands and say, He loves us. Oh, how. I feel something melting off of you. Jesus.